0: This is Binghamton now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and wnbf.com where news breaks first. News Radio
1: 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White.
2: Good morning. It's 40 degrees at 904. The forecast today mostly cloudy, high in the mid to upper 50s. New York is now joining several states that are changing the way that farm workers are compensated for their time. The state's labor commissioner on Friday approved the recommendations to phase in a 40 hour threshold for farm worker overtime over the next decade. Right now, farmers in New, farm workers in New York qualify for overtime pay only after they have worked 60 hours in a week. Labor commissioner Roberta Reardon called the plan, quote, the best path forward for farm worker Equity and success for the agricultural business. It's not coming without some blowback from some factions, including some labor movement advocates who fear that workers' hours are going to be capped as well as an activist group called Upstate United that says the decision is no doubt disastrous, leading to fewer family farms, smaller paychecks for farm workers, and higher costs for consumers. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, a conservative Republican, also weighing in, opposing the move. However, Washington, Minnesota, Hawaii, and Maryland, as well as California, are among states granting overtime entitlements. Some workers are excited. They say they sorely need the extra money. Some farm owners who say the extra labor costs would wipe out their thin profits. Labor movement advocates fear that those hours will be capped, but the New York State government, meanwhile, has created a tax credit intended to defray the costs of overtime for the farmers. New York State Police say a search for an elderly dementia dementia patient has ended, unfortunately, with the discovery of the woman's body. The 85-year-old woman was reported missing last Thursday afternoon, apparently leaving her home in the town of Andes on foot. The New York State Police say they were called shortly before 7 p.m. and informed the woman had left her home several hours before she had been reported missing. That was in the Wolf Hollow Road area in the town of Andes. Dozens of searchers combed the area. The woman's body was found by a canine with the Delhi Village Police about a mile from her home. The state police say there was no indication of any foul play. They did not say where along Wolf Hollow Road the woman had lived but maps of the area show a very heavily wooded and rural terrain that is described by the Department of Environmental Conservation as moderate to steep terrain. Police have not released the woman's name or said if she was living alone and independently or if she was in a care facility. A Bronx man is facing a number of charges in Delaware County after sheriff's deputies say they caught him exceeding the posted speed limit by more than 20 miles an hour. Sheriff's officials say on the 22nd, they clocked a vehicle on State Route 28 in the intersection of Fair Street in the village of Margaretville, going 77 miles an hour. The speed limit on that route is 55. Authorities say they stopped Stephen Mendoza, then found out that he'd been driving without a license and his driving privileges suspended. He's been ordered to appear in town of Middletown Court at a later date. WMBF First News Time 907. Around the state, uh, around Pennsylvania, rather, a man is dead in a police involved shooting south of Scranton, about an hour and a half drive south of Binghamton. Pennsylvania State Police shot and killed a man who hit a trooper with his pickup truck, then crashed into a police sport utility vehicle following an altercation at a Northeast Luzerne County bar. The state police and Luzerne County prosecutors say that troopers from Wilkes-Barre were called to the old-time Charlie's Pub and Grill in Plains Township at around 1.30 a.m. on Friday after a highly intoxicated man was reported to have assaulted a patron and an employee. As two troopers arrived, 41-year-old Jason Kildruff of Pittston reportedly drove his pickup intentionally toward the troopers in, quote, an attempt to strike them with his vehicle. One trooper was hit, and the truck also hit the state police sport utility vehicle, according to the police. A statement from authorities says, quote, both troopers discharged their weapons while attempting to dodge the vehicle. Kildriff was pronounced dead at the scene. The injured trooper was treated at a hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. The investigation is continuing. According to published reports, Kildriff was charged in 2015 with punching an employee and biting a patron at Bar Louie and Mohegan's son, Pocono, after which a police officer was injured while trying to restrain him. He pleaded guilty to simple assault and was sentenced to three months confinement and six months probation. WMBF Time 909. Hey, it's the WMBF Twin Tiers forecast. Mostly cloudy today, a high in the mid to upper 50s. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the low 40s. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, a little bit better for temperature, a high in the low 60s. Wednesday, mostly sunny, a high near 70. Thursday, mostly sunny, a high in the low 70s. And Friday, partly sunny. A 30% chance of afternoon showers, and it drops back to a high only in the low 60s. Currently, it's 40 in Binghamton. It's 11 past 9 where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF, WNBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Monday morning,
0: let's get it started. Bob Joseph, ready for your calls. Call me now at 607 772 1290. The conversation now is underway for another week on News Radio WNBF. Morning, WNBF. What's your first name? Where are you calling from?
3: Hey, it's Ron from Binghamton, Bob.
0: What do you think about this NFL corporation? Are they just about the money, or do they actually care about
3: their workers? Well, thanks for the setup, Bob.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, hey, start of a new week. And uh, by the way, I'll have to cut your uh, 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 thoughts short when the commissioner calls. When Roger Goodell calls in, I, I sadly will have to give him priority. But that's the way it is, Ron.
3: Well, that's the way it should be. Hey, uh, Bob, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to uh, bring to the attention of people who may not have heard about this. It's been in the sports news for the last week. Uh, the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, uh, in the game in Buffalo, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, he was thrown to the ground and, uh, his head hit the uh, His head hit the ground, and he w- he got up, stumbled, was dazed. Obviously, according to football players who have seen this over and over, they say, wow, he had a concussion on the field. Uh, he was helped off the field by two of his uh, players, went to the sidelines, had a, I, I imagine, a cursory examination by a so-called neuro. Uh, Employed by the NFL, and then he was put back in the game. Uh, he, he played the rest of the game, and then five days later, he went to Cincinnati with the team to play the Bengals. He was thrown to the ground. His head hit the ground. Uh, his fingers contorted. Uh, he was on the ground for 15 minutes. They took him off the field on a gurney. Uh, put him in the in the hospital in Cincinnati they looked him over and then he returned to Miami on the plane uh, with the team not a good idea uh, given the fact that flying on planes after you've had a concussion with the changes in pressure is not advisable at any rate at this point the um, uh, we, we're not exactly sure how badly he is he is suffering from the head injury. It may end his career. But what what is what is interesting is that the NFL, uh, with their protocol, did not provide for this uh, player, and now he is in a, a sad condition. You know, you had you had on months ago, many months ago, actually, uh, Chris Nowinski who is the CEO of the Legacy Concussion Foundation, uh, on your show. And he made a statement this week, given what's happened uh, to the football player from Miami. He said, quote, the NFL may be uh, unsavable at this point. So he is basically saying this is kind of the beginning of the end of the power uh the awesome power of the NFL and uh this is being understood more and more by the players themselves the players association is up in arms against what happened on the field uh so it's it's uh, also interesting bob that uh the uh, the uh in 2023 the NFL is not going to have the regular Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is the game that takes place at the end of the season and before the Super Bowl. And it has been essentially a an all-star game between the NFC and the AFC. This year, they're doing away with it. And one of the things they're going to be doing instead is having flag football in place of it. So this may be a recognition even among uh, die-hard football uh, 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 interests that they're going to have to reinvent football in some way
0: well the ratings are the ratings will suffer the ratings will suffer the revenue will drop and you know bottom line you know it's a lot of people stand to lose a lot of money from what's what's possibly going to happen so in the end in the end I think that uh, Cooler heads ought to prevail because there are billions of dollars at stake at all levels. I mean, obviously, um, the commissioner wants his money, of course. The players want a lot of money. The TV networks want a lot of money. Advertisers want a huge audience. I mean, in this society, it's been established: money talks, no one walks. I I hear what you're saying, but I believe that's highly unlikely. I think it'll be interesting, it'll be telling to find out how the ratings, what the ratings are for every time they televise flag football versus traditional traditional put-your-head-and-potentially-your-life-on-the-line football. My guess is the, the ratings, the TV ratings, will be down dramatically. Now, not necessarily for the first pro bowl flag football game i'll even watch i never watched the pro bowl but i'll watch that because of the novelty but after that i predict ron that uh, tv ratings will be down advertisers will be dissatisfied and a lot of money could be lost
3: yes i agree with you bob here's the here's the point I i want to make actually two points uh what is what the nfl is attempting to do not just the nfl but college sports high school sports and such they're attempting to make an inherently unsafe sport safe they can't put that square peg in the round hole Uh, collision sports contact sports uh, where you're hitting your head cannot be made safe they're not made safe with helmets no matter what they do with helmets here's the point this is the only point that really interests me, uh, in this regard. If you're over 18 years old and, and you want to go to college and play football, you go into the NFL. Well, you're an adult. You, you can do that. Uh, what, uh, what about those under 18 in the care of the schools? Uh, we, we hear that UE is renovating their stadium again and uh, you know I mean really another another football church so to speak you know you uh, in the for the sure uh, it's uh, a, it's uh, a temple
0: of the game America loves and that's why that's why Union Endicott I believe taxpayers agreed to spend I think 1.3 million dollars to uh, modernize the temple of football.
3: You know what happens in temples uh, through the ages, Bob? Yeah. Sacrifices. I know. And that's,
0: that's what's happened with football over the years. I mean, for young people, those under the age of 18, and also for adults. Many people, young and old, have sacrificed at the altar of the football god. And more, I'm afraid, will be sacrificed because we... Not saying you and I, but we in America, we love our football games, just like we love boxing, and we love John Bones Jones smashing some other person who works for his company, UFC company. We love seeing people put themselves on the line and potentially be injured and maybe suffer uh, life changing situations that's america ron Uh, you and i you and i don't subscribe to that but we're in the minority we are in the minority and i don't see a time in our lifetime when the majority of americans are willing to give up their football or their boxing or their ufc john bones jones can't drive a bentley but sure can smash a guy's head
3: well bob i think what what may be the missing link in all of this is. Uh, if if the mothers of this country who don't want their boys sacrificed, when the mothers of this country come to understand these uh important dangers, I think uh, things can turn around. Uh, you know I didn't raise my son to be a soldier and um, mamas don't want their Sons to grow up to be football players, but mamas want the their sons right?
0: to be grow up to become millionaires. Call some, Bob, some. I'm, now, I'm. By the way, I I agree with your basic assessment. If enough mothers decided that they care about Ronnie and Bobby and Johnny and Jimmy, and they don't want their son to sustain a very serious head injury while they're in high school or even before. Then that could change a few things, but I, I don't expect it to happen. It could happen though. I hope.
3: Well, people need to be educated, Bob, and uh, what we're we're doing t- this morning is in a little a little bit of that. Of course, we have, you know, there were a, a hundred a hundred thousand people at the Packers uh, game yesterday. A hundred thousand people attended. So, I mean, it's like spitting in the ocean, but it has to be done to bring light to the, not just the short-term dangers, but the long-term dangers like CTE, uh, ruining the lives of, of young people. And and also, one last thing, Bob, you know, we, we've we heard of people who end up with CTE when, and when they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and basically lose their identity by damaging their brain. But what we don't understand, because we can't diagnose CTE until after the person is dead, what we don't realize is uh, with kids playing high school football, for example, uh, what happens is symptoms start to show up, which we don't understand is maybe the beginning of CTE. They're on uh, the lack of focus, juvenile delinquency, depression, suicide, That's the 90 percent of the iceberg lying below the surface right now. But it's real. And I think you'd find educators in our area who probably have witnessed uh, uh, young men who have lost focus and have doing uh, uh, poorly in school from the result of repetitive blows to the head.
0: I am holding in my right hand now a book called Counting the Days While My Mind Slips Away, a love letter to my family, written by Ben Utek, Super Bowl champion tight end for the Indianapolis Colts. Back of the book says, after five major concussions, he is losing his memories. This is his powerful and emotional love letter to his wife and daughters, whom he someday may not recognize and an inspiring message for all to live every moment fully and it's just one exhibit in what could be dozens hundreds maybe thousands of exhibits that that could be introduced into uh, court of law to uh, help support an NFL Players Association case if they wanted to uh, suggest the National Football League Corporation hasn't been properly caring for its employees.
3: Well, Roger Goodell might have a vested interest. He he makes $50 million a year as uh, the uh, commissioner of football. And it does, as you started out, it comes down to a a major money is involved here. I mean, major money. But if you're uh, a mother or a father, have your young man or a young women also play baseball, uh, play uh, softball, track, tennis, golf—a safe sport which is not inherently dangerous. Uh, they, uh, the accidents in baseball, you know, as far as the head, are rare. They're not in football. Uh, you, you, it's a sport that uh, has has done too much damage uh, uh, already. Let's not keep it. Uh,
0: By the way, let's give Roger Goodell the credit he deserves. Over the last two years, according to published reports, well, fiscal years 2019 and 2020, Roger Goodell was paid almost $128 million. So let's not let's not say he's getting paid only $50 million. Last two years that have been publicly reported, he, he made almost $64 million a year. So he has... Just based on the last two years we know about, he has at least 128 million reasons not to really care that much or at least do much to change the successful business model of his NFL corporation. And when I say successful business model, I mean successful in that it provides him with more than a million dollars a week. Nice work if you can get it. For sure. And and but I will say this without fear of contradiction, there are some of us, including the person in the studio and the person on the phone line, and many of our listeners, who even if paid a hundred million dollars a year, would not do the job he's doing and allow such dangers to continue for his loyal and talented employees. They're definitely talented. The question will be how many going forward, how many NFL Corporation employees will start to see the light, especially after what happened just in the last week or so. Yeah, Appreciate your okay. call. We're here uh, to a degree to educate people. Yeah, We inform, sometimes we entertain, and part of the mission, of course, is to educate and at least get you thinking. As Joe from Wego tries to do. Good morning, Joe.
3: Hi, Joe.
0: Uh, I think Joe has taken, I think he's had a drive drive-through. Sounds like he wants a good breakfast. Hope he gets coffee with that. It's 928 WNBF with Bob Joseph on News Radio 1290 WNBF. Everybody wants a new car. Or if not a brand new car, at least a nice dependable used vehicle. And if that's what you want, Miller Auto Team can accommodate you. If you're looking for a new Honda or Hyundai, or if you want something that's recently been recently owned and treated well, a used vehicle, stop by and see Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal directly across from Binghamton University. Just went past there about uh, 40 minutes ago. Looked like they were, that was right before 9 o'clock, so they're getting set to open up for another big week, first full week of October. If you want dependable transportation for the fall and winter months, stop by and say hello to all the great people who make up the Miller Auto Team. They'll be open tonight till 7, also tomorrow with extended hours, 9 to 7. It's the Miller Auto Team. New Hondas, new Hyundais, hey, some New vehicles are on their way, and not all have been claimed in advance. So if you're looking for something special, tell the people at Miller Motors what you need, what you want, and they'll be able to find something that should meet your requirements. If you want more information, go to MillerAutoTeam.com. You can also check out the used vehicle inventory online. Miller Motors on the Parkway. It's 9.30. This is Bob Joseph on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Looking for... Two WNBF WNBF dot com six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety Vic from the Forks. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Super. Well, I don't know if you can fly or not, but that sounds all right. <laughs> hey, I wanted to call because I'm I'm on the highway right now.
0: Hey, could you do me a favor and call right back because you um, were playing playing phone roulette again? Can you hear that crackly noise? Yeah, call, call back. That was Vic from the Forks. We're dealing with uh, a phone line that uh, will not cooperate. So, hi, is that you? Are you there, Bob? Oh, that's much better. Yeah, we have a phone right. line. We have a phone line that's incorrigible, and it started to crackle. It sounded like the sizzling sound of delicious bacon on a Monday morning. But sad, well, well, sadly, I, I, sadly, it. it It uh, apparently is beyond, beyond, beyond help. What's on your mind?
4: I pulled over and parked. Hopefully we'll have a good good line from now on to the end of the call. But uh, Friday I was sitting around the house looking for something to do. I I decided to take a ride up into the Adirondacks. I went up through Old Forge, Malone, uh, Saranac Lake, Lake Placid. I put probably 300 miles on the car. And I got to tell you, Bob, the Adirondack Mountain Keepers have done a fantastic job up there. I mean, they say it's the playground of the city. And when you go up there, unlike Binghamton and Broome County and Shenango County, you don't see not one windmill, not one solar farm. Now, I guarantee they probably have some. The caller might call up and say they're up there. But not like they are spotted in our area, ruin our viewscape. You get up to them Adirondacks, I, I honestly got 300 miles. I didn't see one solar panel or one windmill. And now I'm back on the highway. I'm parked on Route 12 right now. And I see windmills on 38. I see them on uh, uh, Route 8 coming out of uh, uh, Herkimer, let's say. And they're everywhere, everywhere. Now, you got to wonder, how want to be Adirondack mountain keepers keep them out of there when they're the ones that fought against our natural fuels.
0: You know? Well, because, because there's political will to keep them out. Because in so, the Adirondacks, there's a political will to keep them out. In most of New York State, in fact, in much of the country, there's no political will to um, avoid the visual pollution that comes with wind farms. I personally, you know, when I I saw the first installation outside Windsor, or in the town of Windsor, I thought, wow, that's novel and scary. Uh, now, for me, personally, the novelty has worn off. On the other hand, I can't speak too loudly against them, because I need the power, the power that's generated by the uh, the wind farms, so...
4: What a lot of people don't realize. You know how they're talking about a big increase coming up in Nice Egg?
0: It's not gonna be a, a lot it's reasons- not it's not gonna be a big increase. It's gonna be massive. It's gonna be huge. It's, not, not so it's gonna be it's gonna probably be the biggest percentage increase that people have experienced in their lifetime from one heating season to the next.
4: I heard forty percent. But you can't blame that all on egg I, I, I know people like to blame NYSEG for it. But NYSEG is being forced to take the energy from these solar farms and reproduce it. And that's what's costing us so much. They're losing money out on their own sources
0: of energy. It's not just I because it's the- mainly because of the high cost of natural gas. So the natural gas, if you look at the, the price of natural gas as opposed to artificial gas the re the reality is nice egg and i don't have the percentages listed here i'm not going to look them up now because i'm too lazy on a monday but yeah. a lot a lot and i think we've talked about this before you might actually recall what the percentage is a huge percentage of the power that nice egg is uh transmitting to its customers or that we use in upstate new york a high percentage is generated from natural gas so natural gas prices are are soaring thanks to vladimir putin who is not our friend
4: i think it's 58 percent, bob but i'm not in my computer all right
0: and the the amount the amount of power generated that that we in upstate new york obtain from wind and solar is much 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 smaller
4: yeah, but there's a lot of reasons natural gas is going through the roof, and I'm sure most of your listeners know why. Um, uh, we shut down pipelines. We stopped construction on pipelines. We're denying pipelines. And because of that, everybody's paying higher. And the people who who fought against natural gas in New York are all trust funders and, and all rich people. You know, you, you got the Heinz family. You got the Hunt's. Uh, you know the Kennedys. All these people fought against natural gas in New York, and they don't have to. They could pay the bills for the rest of their life just from the income they get from the interest in their checking accounts So, what what that does that makes it eliminates the middle class from being able to bargain for their for their power. It eliminates the poor people, except for they got programs uh like HUD or or HEAP or whatever it is where they can get paid, you know, twice a year now, I think it is, for their fuel cost. Uh, But there's also the Red Cross will pay your fuel bill if you go on in. Or or, a lot of people, there's a lot of organizations that will pick up the cost for the poor people, but not for the middle class people. The middle class person is now making a choice between groceries, prescription mug, uh, medicine, and, and gasoline to go on a trip to pay their fuel bills or their mortgage. And it's just crazy the way this the, the fuel economics is destroying the middle class and all of the country.
0: Well, you hang up. Now? Oh, okay. Oh, I. Hey, who, who am I to disagree? All I'll say is, without Vladimir Putin with his antics and waging a war that is so, so sick, so misguided. Um, a, a lot, a lot of the problems that we're experiencing now, related to energy, whether it's our upcoming heating bills or the current instability when it comes to gasoline prices, Vladimir Putin plays a big role. You know, there. Yes, there are a multitude of other factors, including supply, including demand. Well, it's it's complicated. And, you know, I, it's, it's simplistic to, uh, to suggest that, overly simplistic to say, because certain pipelines that were proposed now are not going to be built, or perhaps they will be built at some point in the future, depending on who is president in January 2025. Um, you know, there are en- enormous changes happening in the energy industry around the world. Changes, changes that are unstoppable. They could be slowed or expedited depending on policies of state and federal governments. But in the end, you know, eventually uh, the world is going to probably have mostly electric vehicles. Now, will that will it will it be by twenty thirty five or twenty fifty? I don't know. I, I really lot of don't know.
4: out there right now saying electric vehicles won't be the new thing. Well, who knows? Uh,
0: Again, we, yeah. we don't nobody has a crystal ball as the magic 8 ball might say. Uh, it's really fuzzy. Well, it is fuzzy. Anytime you try look at look at how difficult it is to predict the weather 12 hours in advance. Well, same with economic trends and energy trends too. You you can do the, the best in terms of making predictions based on the information we have today, and then something dramatic could happen in the next month that could put all those predictions uh, on the back burner. It could be all all bogus. So You're right about Vladimir Putin having an effect on the economy. Well, he's, not, he's, not- he's terrible. He's terrible. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like him as a human being. I, I think he'd be very interesting to have lunch with but in terms of of his actions i condemn most of his recent actions because i don't think he cares about people like us
4: he doesn't care about life and and he, he's proven he's proven that with his war crimes but um uh the effect he has on our country is the fact that he shut europe down the four gas lines that he exploded maybe five i'm not sure now uh, th- those served Europe, not the United States. However, because he cut the gas off to Europe, Europe is now buying American gas, which is driving the price up. That's the effect he had on us. And um, uh, Europe is now also a few countries over there that were 100% against fracking are now fracking. I can't tell you which ones. I know Germany's allowing it now.
0: Hey, you do uh, what you got to do. If If this yeah. nation faced a, a sudden desperate totally sudden and totally desperate situation you'd see fracking going on here in the Marcellus shale so fast it make your head spin again yeah, it, everything really everything is situational i still i still think it's likely maybe not as likely as it was a couple of years ago i still think it's fairly likely 50-50 at some point there's going to be at least some limited fracking going on in the southern tier because there's too much money to be made because of all the gas reserves. Now, maybe maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't, but that's my gut feeling, whether uh, it's Kathy Hochul as governor, Lee Zeldin, Mickey Mouse, even the return of Andrew Cuomo. If Andrew Cuomo becomes governor again, which obviously he wants to become governor again, he hasn't been convicted of anything, so if he became governor again, even, say, 10 years from now, given the right set of circumstances, that guy, if it was politically expedient, could approve limited fracking in the Marcellus Shale.
2: Um, and he might. I, I, it
0: all depends. If, he, if, if Andrew Cuomo, Kathy Hochul, Lee Zeldin, Mickey Mouse, if any of them got enough money, enough donations from fracking interests, they could consider making fracking a thing here in the Southern Tier. Money talks, no one walks, and it's, as they would say, it's not personal. It's just because they need the money for their campaigns.
4: You know, the landowners paid for, uh, uh, I forget what you call them, the, the people that talk to government to get things that you want. Uh, we we paid for one of them. Sure, lobbyists. Uh, a, lobby, a lobbyist. Yeah,
0: there's nothing nothing illegal with lobbyists.
4: On December 16th, we had a meeting of 2012, and the lobbyists said that Cuomo was going to approve limited gas drilling in the southern tier. On 20, uh, on December uh, 17th, uh, 2012, Governor Cuomo came out and said that gas was going to be uh, banned by recommendation of um, uh, Dr. Zucker because he was afraid his uh, four-year-old boy, which he didn't have, would fall down a four-inch pipe. And uh, what happened there was on December 16th, uh, we were told in the evening hours he met with Robert Kennedy, and uh, Robert Kennedy persuaded him to put the ban in. Now, this is all hearsay, but it comes from somebody we were paying $8,000 a month to lobby for us. So uh, I don't know if it's true or not, Bob, but I think it might be. It's believable that uh whoever has the most money wins the game just like whoever has the most yard signs wins the election uh and that shouldn't be people should people need to educate themselves on all aspects of anything that affects their life personally or their children's life because uh, people just don't pay attention and then when it's too late they're saying why you know but I'm going to end on that note Bob because Traffic is picking up, and I'm in a busy spot here. All
0: right. Well, be careful out there. Hope you have a good day. Take care, Bob. 946 WNBF. Good news is Governor Cuomo's comeback uh, effort is uh, now officially underway. So maybe we'll talk about that next hour. Andrew Cuomo returning to public view because New Yorkers know what they like 607-772-1290 is the number email address is bob at wnbf.com hope you make this a daily habit we're on from nine to noon monday through friday on news radio wnbf 92.1 fm 1290 a.m and always available on the free wnbf app i'm father Yes, David, I understand. I catch a paper, boy, but things don't really change. I'm standing in the wind, but I never wave. Bye-bye. But I try. I try. Hey, you don't write them like that anymore. It's 9.50 WNBF with Bob Joseph. Uh, doing a job, probably not perfectly, but it's definitely... Dev, definitely getting something done around here and that's good hope uh, you have a chance to call in or email email would be nice bob at com. phone call yeah 607-772-1290 jeff from binghamton writes why are there no wind farms solar installations in the adirondacks one strict zoning restrictions enforced by the APA, Adirondack Park Agency. Two, the park is protected by forever wild section of the New York State Constitution. And thank you, Jeff, for providing that guidance. That's the thing. There there are some really significant development restrictions for that part of New York State. It's a huge swath of New York State where development such as happens elsewhere in this great state, just is not permitted. So, will that change someday? Well, it could. Is it likely to change anytime soon? No. But, in the end, predicting predicting anything, as I mentioned earlier, even about fracking. Some people do think that the 2014 decision by the Cuomo administration put the matter of fracking to rest... In New York State, I don't believe that that's the final word. But a lot depends. Say if, if there was really a big emergency, an energy emergency, and New York State or the United States truly desperately needed natural gas, would there be fracking? Probably. I mean, in the end, money talks, and also if people for a protracted or an extended period of time weren't going to be able to heat their homes or if the utilities of New York, for whatever reason, could not produce adequate amounts of electricity to serve residential and business customers, that would change the equation. So is that likely to happen? Probably not right away, but could it happen at some point? Of course it could happen. It could and I, I don't even want to speculate on all the circumstances it wouldn't it wouldn't take much sadly I mean this this is a great country, but look the country is wonderful it's the best uh, for those who think they have to make America great again you're fooling yourself America continues to be great has been always will be great but bottom line is even with all of our inexplicable greatness there are still areas that that need attention including things like providing an appropriate amount of baby formula you know if this country can't provide infant formula especially the unique formulas or specialized formulas that some young children really need if we can't do that what kind of a country are are we if we can't provide an adequate supply of toilet paper to people what kind of a country are we we need to look at some key things that have come to light over the last few years and work quickly to fix them or at least take steps I haven't heard of any new steps that have been taken to make sure there's no toilet paper shortage in the future or any steps that have been taken to make sure if Abbott has trouble with their baby formula factory again that there won't be a sudden shortage of very specific infant formulas. So we we receive all of these warning signs and then don't do a whole lot to... Fix the problem so it doesn't happen again, or at least reduce the likelihood it'll recur. Here's the forecast from the National Weather Service. Mostly cloudy today, 57. Cloudy tonight, 42. Cloudy tomorrow, 62. Sunny Wednesday, 69. And right now in downtown Binghamton, again, we have a thermometer with expired mercury, so it's all gummed up. Barely works, but let's see worst thermometer ever. 45 downtown Binghamton WNBF. I think I think we'll have the uh, the people who have access to the fresh high grade mercury. Maybe we'll have them come in next weekend to do the delicate task of putting in the new mercury in our official thermometer. It's 956. Bob Joseph at WNBF. WNBM, home of the Talk Radio. See. um, Oh, by the way, thank you to our tipsters. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, tipster. Actually, you have a bunch of tipsters. I uh, actually called one of our tipsters over the weekend. And uh, the tipster was actually shocked to get a phone call from a reporter. But I did that. Yeah, Sunday afternoon when I normally should be relaxed. In fact, I got they install some sort of monitoring program to, to my email, so they monitor everything I do. Of course, because that's what they do. And they they sent me a note this morning, and it said, "Let me see if I could find it." They basically chastised me for working on the weekend. Let me see if I can find this. Eh. Let me see. Oh, here it is. Um, Hi, Bob. They use the personal touch because they like to look at how I work. Something to consider because they monitored what I did last month. Looks like you read and respond to email quickly outside your working hours. uh, Consider turning off email notification outside working hours. So this monitoring device is basically... Urging me not to respond to your emails, to tipsters, and also to listeners of the program outside working hours. So maybe I'll consider that. Nosy. Nosy program that monitors my work habits. Consider turning off email notifications outside working hours. Okay, 10 o'clock, WNBF, Binghamton. Where news breaks first news radio 1290
1: wnbf here's kathy white
2: Good morning, it's 42 degrees at 10.04. The forecast today, mostly cloudy and a high in the mid to upper 50s. The New York State Department of Labor is taking the next steps in raising the state's minimum wage for non-farm workers, and a comment period has been opened. While reaction is coming in for the phase-in of a 40-hour work week and overtime for agricultural workers, Labor Commissioner Roberta Reardon also Friday issued an order calling for the minimum wage in counties outside of New York City Long Island and Westchester to go up by $1 an hour from $13.20 to $14.20 as the phase in toward a $15 minimum hourly wage continues. A release from the New York State Department of Labor says the order follows up on the division of the budget recommending the increase following a required economic analysis, which found evidence of pressure for wages to rise in the midst of a continued pandemic driven labor shortage. According to the Labor Department, the commissioner's order is subject to public comment before a final decision is made. New Yorkers can share feedback by emailing regulations at labor.ny.gov by December eleventh, twenty twenty-two. If accepted, the increase to fourteen dollars twenty cents would go to into effect on December thirty-first, twenty twenty-three. Although the cause of a fatal fire in Endicott last week remains under investigation, authorities have released the name of the person who died. According to Police Chief Patrick Gary, June Kimball was found dead in her home on Taylor Avenue on Wednesday morning. The Broome County Coroner's Office has ruled the cause of death, smoke inhalation. A Police Department news release indicates authorities have determined the fire was not the result of a criminal act or suspicious in nature. The fire at the two-story home just north of Watson Boulevard was reported a little bit before 8.30 a.m. Wednesday by a neighbor who saw the smoke coming from the second floor. Firefighters found Kimball's body and a bed. The blaze was confined to the bedroom and brought under control in less than 15 minutes. A couple probation violation cases in Broome County ending with new jail time for each parolee. The Broome County District Attorney's Office says 42-year-old Jennifer Taylor of Binghamton had been on probation for felony criminal possession of stolen property. According to the DA's office, Taylor had pleaded guilty to the count and had been sentenced to five years on probation. The prosecutor's office says Taylor violated the terms that she was to receive counseling and attend treatment programs. That has resulted in the woman's probation being replaced with a sentence of one to three years in New York State Prison. Also last week, the district attorney's office reported that 32-year-old Taiquan Terry of Johnson City was on probation for burglary when he was said to have violated that probation terms. The DA's office said Terry had pleaded guilty to burglary in May and was sentenced in Broome County Court in August 17th for five years probation. Authorities, however, say Terry failed to comply with the terms that had been set in court and has now been ordered also to serve one to three years in New York State Prison. A Johnson City discount grocery store is closed as the village's downtown district evolves Save-A-Lot on Main Street closed over the weekend. Roberta Douglas, who has operated the business with her husband, said they recently were advised the building was being sold and their lease would not be renewed. The property was sold in 2017 for $608,000 to a Shenango County-based company. The new owners then tried to sell the site as the redevelopment, driven by Binghamton University's Health Sciences Campus nearby on Corliss Avenue, drove up property prices. The most recent real estate listing shows an asking price of $1.15 million for the property. Douglas says she believes the closing is going to be a hardship for many people who still live nearby because they don't have cars to travel to other places to buy groceries. Save a lot employs six people. WMBF News Time, 10.08. Tioga Downs Casino Resort is putting out a call to community organizations that could use a little help. The business in the town of Nichols is again taking applications for grants to assist organizations specifically with programs to combat poverty and community deterioration. A news release from Tioga Downs announces the Tioga Downs Regional Community Foundation will distribute $1 million to 501c3 organizations in the area, only 5013 C3 charities are eligible for the grant money. According to the announcement, the Regional Community Foundation aims to fund groups that advance charitable, religious, literacy, scientific, educational purposes in Broome, Tioga, Shamung, and Bradford counties. Interested applicants must mail a copy of their completed application to P.O. Box 15, Nichols, New York 13827. Completed applications should include the cost estimate for the program seeking funding Applications must be postmarked no later than October 21st, 2022. Grant recipients will be announced in early November and awarded on Giving Tuesday, November 29th, during a ceremony at the Tioga Downs Event Center. WMBF News Time, 1010. From new recording. A high in the mid to upper 50s. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the low 40s. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, high in the low 60s. Wednesday, mostly sunny, a high in the upper 60s to around 70. Thursday, mostly sunny, a high in the low 70s. And then a 10-degree swing back the other way for Friday. Partly sunny, a 30% chance of afternoon showers, and a high in the low 60s. Currently, it's 42 in Binghamton. It's 10:12 where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM.
0: Morning WNBF is the second hour of Bob Joseph on the radio. Hope you're having a great day. We aim to make it even better on WNBF.
4: I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, all the now. She was a black hat beauty with big
5: dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high.
1: backseat of my sixty share Working on mysteries without any clues.
5: Working on a night
0: moves. Trying to make some front page driving news.
5: Trying to make some front page Working
0: driving news in summertime. Yeah, that was a good summertime. Going back to the, we'll just say back to the 70s. I I will someday share some of those details <clears throat> maybe round top round top memories going back to the 70s 1013 with Bob Joseph I was just at Roundtop yesterday uh, with uh, um, a couple of people including a deacon Joseph Selipak is here yeah I was over at Roundtop with a deacon can you believe that well, deacons are great people, too. Yes, they are. <laughs> One of my best friends is a deacon. Yeah, you know it. Yeah. And so we wound up having uh, a, a little uh, lunch out, out on Roundtop yesterday afternoon. What a beautiful day. A little, little on the chilly side, but still, um, with the crisp autumn air and the beautiful view from Round Top and Endicott, it was a great afternoon. You
6: can't beat our area for beauty in October, that's for sure. We we really do make the world come alive in October.
0: That's one of the good things about this area, among other great things. We we definitely have four well defined seasons, unlike some places where they seem to have <laughs> maybe one point two seasons. We we have four: wet and uh, hot. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Joe Selipak is here uh, from the. Broom county council of churches we're going to talk with him in just a couple of minutes about some of the um important things the mission of the Broom county council of churches so many things that uh, go on here in the county and that's coming up in a moment and then later this hour we'll be taking more phone calls if you want to talk about uh, how things went over the weekend how about those mets by the way did you see what happened with the mets last night no i did not well I didn't see it either. I was listening on on the radio because I, I i i thought, oh, well, I don't want to stay up late watching it on TV. But if it gets interesting, I'll listen on the radio. And i I dozed in and out, and then i tu- I woke up just in time to hear that they lost to the Atlanta Braves. And oh, then I no. said, yeah. So, so are they out of the playoffs again? Yeah, they have a chance. They still wild card chance, but okay. I have to, have to be honest, it looks pretty bleak at this oh, point. Man. On the other hand, the Red Sox, Red Sox, we knew they were out of
5: it. <laughs> people,
0: people torment me or attempt to torment me. They think, they think if they mention the Red Sox and how Boston did this, this past baseball season, they think I'll get upset. I'm not one of those fans. I, I mean, I don't take any of it personally. I, I do happen to support teams like the Red Sox and the Mets but hey if, if they lose a game or if they don't do well during the season doesn't bo- it doesn't personally bother me I, I you know sometimes I, I might be a little disappointed some people think oh what about your Red Sox I was like yeah what about bottom they, they didn't do as well as I had hoped and life goes on.
6: I, I grew up in Detroit, so it's uh, so I have disappointment <laughs> written all over me all the time.
1: <laughs>
6: yes, yes, pity the <laughs> yes, the Tigers and the Lions. Oh my! Yeah, yes. you know so it. Like, Oof. So, yeah. so the Buffalo Bills won. So I, I spent a lot of time there. So uh, oh, that's
0: true. The yeah, Bills they, did
6: win. They, so that was a, that was an interesting game yesterday. That's for sure. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that.
0: Well, I was busy, busy. I. Tr- I try not to spend too much time watching, whether it's football or baseball on TV. I, I'm interested in the outcomes, but I don't usually spend, unless, you know, a bunch of people are just going to get together. You know, I, yeah. I'm more interested in, say, the social aspect than the game itself,
6: if people are going to get together to watch a game. Yeah, I feel the same way about baseball and golf, where uh, it's like watching paint dry. But yeah. some people love it. And, right. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the thing.
6: That's, that's why I love that we have the golf tournament in
0: Endicott. and Oh, that's and, a great thing. Yeah, and I love how we have our baseball game still in downtown Binghamton. But I'll be the first to admit, if I go to the golf tournament at Enjoy or even a baseball game at Marabito Stadium, most of the time I'm actually talking with people. And, I mean, sometimes it's just, oh, I haven't seen you in a long time. Sometimes it actually turns out to be useful from a a business, a news standpoint. You wind up, oh, I haven't uh, seen you in a while. And then they'll say, Bob, do you know what's happening? And then it'll be like, (laughs) I'll make a mental note of that. And some some of my best news tips I've acquired, say, at Enjoy during a golf tournament or at the – baseball games or even a hockey games so yeah. it's, you never know who you'll run into yeah you don't so coming up we'll talk about the Broom county council of churches a lot to discuss on this live local radio program we're here for you on news radio wnbf and wnbf.com you wash your hands 1020 at wnbf wnbf.com and Joseph Selapak the executive director of the Broome County Council of Churches is with us in the studio good morning again good morning bob we'll shift our gears from talking sports and, and just <laughs> general overall banter to talk about some of the uh, programs of the Council of Churches first
6: how long have you been the executive director now um, i'm i'm almost 16 years yeah it's been a it's been a great a great Ride—it's been a good, uh, good fit for me. Um, I've, uh, I've enjoyed this area. I, I love living in Binghamton. It's kind of what makes me, kind of what makes me tick. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that I've, I've enjoyed, um, and I enjoy being able to do things through the Council of Churches for uh, the benefit of what, what I think of as all God's children. So we, we try to do things that will help our area be a better place. For all of God's children, where did you grow up? I grew up in Detroit. Uh, oh, that's right. You mentioned you I, know, I, met a, about, uh, I met a I met a tigers. girl. I met a girl from Horseheads, and uh, fell in love and got married 30, 33 years ago. So uh, we've been we've been living in the southern tier now for sixteen years, and before that we lived in Buffalo for about seven. So this is kind of this is home. Well as as a person who grew up in Detroit then spent time in Buffalo
0: and now in Binghamton at, at least you may not like winter but at least you can
6: survive oh i know winters. winter <laughs> <laughs> i love you you have to you have to you have to make peace with it i think you know and find things that you can enjoy in the, even in the midst of winter so well that's a thing and yeah. I, I i was uh,
0: telling folks at lunch yesterday i said gee only four months till groundhog day (laughs) and greeted by a groan (laughs) four months yeah (laughs) well only 25 weeks till spring so (laughs) there you go (laughs) let's look look you know the glass is half full or half empty at any rate a couple of specific things that we're going to talk about uh, regarding the council of churches and in a moment we'll talk about the greater good grocery store uh, on the north side of binghamton but uh, one of the Important programs and missions of the Council of Churches is its jail ministry, and tell yeah. our listeners uh, a bit about that because I don't believe the jail ministry gets as much attention
6: as it ought to. Well, jail ministry is one of our oldest programs. Our relationship to the with Broom County government goes back for at least four or five decades. Uh, Council of Churches itself is about eighty years old. Um, and we've we've been operating jail ministries since uh, since well, after, you know, w- within that within the first few years of the council actually existing. So, um, jail ministry is our um, is our our attempt to help reduce recidivism by um, by helping people make better better choices in their life, and so we. We do work with um, inmates helping in discharge planning uh, with the jail, as well as um, services within the jail, including religious services, but not limited to religious services. We we help people uh, uh, write up resumes. We help them um, with literacy training. Uh, one of my favorite programs that the jail does is um, we have inmates read. You know what it, what it would be like if you were a... Uh, a person who had a very low um, reading level. So if you're reading at a third grade, the reading level, um, for men, especially, there's a lot of pride involved in it. And you would not necessarily read a book like that. But one of the things that we do is we have the inmate read a book to um, to a CD voice recorder, and then we send the the recording as well as the book Home to the Children that are living at home. And so oftentimes the, the children are actually hearing, hearing their parent read to them for the very first time. Um, so we do things like that. We do uh, uh, Chris, Chris Mogensen, our, our ch- jail ministry chaplain, he has a really uh, hard job. Because he ends up having to negotiate. Um, there are times when he's an imam. There are times when he's a rabbi. There are times when he's uh, he is an actual Protestant Christian minister. But there are times when he has, has to um, help people uh, regardless of their religious affiliation with, with various um, dietary restrictions and other kinds of things that go on. He has a very, uh, very difficult job. But he tries to negotiate it with uh, compassion and care. Well, seems that. Yes, it would be very challenging and,
0: and extremely tough at times, but my sense is he probably finds it extremely rewarding to help so many people who come from various backgrounds
6: yeah, and you know every year right now we 're in the middle of uh, trying to get um, stamps and um, and various like little trinkets basically that'll be put together into a um, uh, a gift for the for the inmate, for so that they can be able to send uh, Christmas cards or holiday cards or um, other kinds of things home. And so we're we're trying to uh, to give them, you know, like um, some really small things, like usually a candy bar, um, a, a pack of playing cards, things that they could be able to, you know, pass the time with and. Also, things that show that people people care about them. So we're, um, we, you know, we're trying to trying as much as we can, not only to be um, to be responsive to the person who comes to see us, but also to what their hopes and aspirations and dreams for their life is. And so we're we're helping them make those kinds of choices that will lead to be better integrity and better hope uh, for the future. So we've been doing this for. Like I said, for many years, and it's one of the the programs that I I um, what what it's one of the programs that drew me to the Council of Churches.
0: <laughs>
6: yeah. What's the
0: effect of COVID been on, oh, on the jail ministry over the last two and a half years? Oh, it's
6: been terrible. I mean, they've had to cut down a, a lot of the the volunteer programs programming in order to keep people within the jail safe uh, from COVID. Uh, you know what it's like within this. We we know what it's like if you're living even inside of a dorm room um, for BU students uh, who 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 get COVID. Can you imagine living in a in a in an environment like that where they're together 24 seven? So it's uh, it it can be a hot really hot keg of of COVID <laughs> COVID well, blast. I, I mean, f- obviously the the
0: uh, potential threat. To your physical health but also it just seems the the psychological impact of being there obviously you don't have a choice you are there for the duration right and everybody's concerned i mean the, the people who uh, are incarcerated the uh, the employees everybody administrators everybody is concerned especially in the early stages of the pandemic where where the spread just seemed unchecked and there were no vaccines available
6: yeah and that would have been really that was really tough i mean chris ended up uh and he's still um pretty much he and his staff are doing uh individual counseling with people and they're not allowing a lot of mass gatherings of of folks to try to stymie the the um uh, the spread of the, the of covid and keep people from getting sick so that's been a has been a big a big change within jail ministry recently. Are volunteers needed for the jail ministry? We will be offering volunteers. They'll have to re. We have to have them get background checked, fingerprinted, and a whole bunch of other things in order to allow them access to the jail. But Chris is, um, uh, work, we're we're working with the the uh, the administration of the jail to relaunch the volunteer program. I think that started again uh, last Thursday, and it's going to be moving into the future, um, trying to get back to what we what we offered before the pandemic. Joseph Salopak is executive
0: director of the Broome County Council of Churches. It's 1030 at WNBF. Another uh, very important initiative that uh, the council has been involved in is uh, working to make affordable and healthier food available to people in the neighborhood of binghamton's north side it's not limited just to north side residents but for more than a quarter century the people in that area of binghamton had no convenient supermarket after uh, grand union and before that great american closed their doors but but now there is a store that provides some healthier
6: foods at prices that are affordable yeah, 435 State Street, that's where the Greater Good Grocery is located. We offer a uh, full-service uh, grocery store, except, you know, you can't buy some of the things that you can buy at a normal grocery store. We don't sell alcohol. We don't sell uh, cigarettes and um, and magazines and that kind of thing. But as far as the food is concerned, we offer uh, a full line of, of food, including meat and Uh, dairy and other, other foods at affordable price for people. Um, people are amazed at the quality and the, and the, uh, the type of food that we're able to get. It's, uh, I think, I think one of the, our calling cards, it is the home of the one dollar ice cream. So we, we do have, uh, Ben and Jerry's and other kinds of, other kinds of ice cream that's available for a dollar. Um, and then we, uh, we also have, um, produce and uh, fresh produce and uh, frozen produce and uh, just a full line of other other products at the store it's um, one of the one of the great things that we've we've just currently launched is uh, the double bucks program we were working with hopper 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 and Eschbach, Eschbach uh funeral home um, and then uh, the united way to fund um, any person who, who is on SNAP uh, who purchases any kind of food that's SNAP eligible from the grocery store uh, will have their dollar matched up to $50 um, f- with uh, another buck. So it's called our Double Bucks Program. And so what we're doing is trying to help people who are living on, on limited budgets uh, to be able to afford more food um, than what they could have if they – if they only were living on SNAP. Um, and we, we've partnered with uh, Field and & Fork and to help with produce, but this one will expand it to all eligible um, products within the grocery store. I know
0: that the Council of Churches also wants to try to help people in other parts of the community that are having trouble accessing food. We uh, unfortunately reported the story uh, on Friday of um an affordable uh grocery store in johnson city that closed its doors yeah yeah and and save a lot was there for uh, about a decade and i know from speaking with uh, the woman who ran the store along with her husband they're from montrose they were um very sad that that store had to close its doors because uh place has has new owners so that business lost its lease but the people in that neighborhood are still there. I mean, some people lost their homes because their apartment buildings were torn down over the right. last two or three years. But there still are people within walking distance of Save-A-Lot that don't have cars or access to easy transportation. They also, in many cases, don't have a lot of money to spend on,
6: on their food. Yes. Yeah, so next year, one of the things that we're, we're lo- looking to launch through the grocery store Uh, Many will remember that we used to operate the Chow Food Bus, which was a a, a mobile grocery store that went into food deserts, especially the north side. But also, you know, there are other food deserts um, around our area, especially in more rural areas. Um, But we would take groceries in there and then people could buy them at an affordable price um, off the bus. Well, we're going to be relaunching that as the Greater Good Bus in 2023. And we'll be able to go into places like Johnson City and other, other places within within Broome County that are food deserts to be able to give them the same products and the same programs that the, the grocery store runs. So if a person is on SNAP, they would be able to get um, a dollar-to-dollar match off the bus as well as at the grocery store. So they don't have to necessarily go to the grocery store. The grocery store is going to come to them. And places like um, senior living um, homes uh, and other areas like the like the folks that live in Johnson City, where they have food access problems, will be able to have um, access to the to the food bus. So we'll be we'll be doing that, and hopefully, you know, in the n- near future, we'll be able to launch Greater Good Groceries um, throughout throughout our area, uh, but. You know, you have to get a successful track record um, before you can actually do that.
0: Well, and and certainly the um, the road to getting the grocery operation up and running at four thirty five State Street that had lots of twists and turns. I remember yeah. from the the. the an original announcement, and then following up with you on on the process. Of course, it wasn't helped out by COVID. the pandemic either. If mean, you don't have uh, access to, uh, say, cash registers or whatever, yeah, right. you can't really open a, a grocery store of any size. So a lot of those, I would never try to recommend that. No, no. So I, I was just looking at a, a story. The first time I think I set foot in into the store shortly before it open it was about two years ago, and. And the uh, grocery carts were there and some of the uh, coolers were in place and a few shelves had already been assembled but you were still
6: awaiting uh, many other things before the store could actually open and we still have we, we you know we still have some issues with uh, products um, you know the product chain has not been what it was before the pandemic um, the pandemic really has hurts an awful lot of uh small businesses especially so and we're we're a small business it's kind of what we kind of what we do with the 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 greater good grocery and you know one of the one of the great things about the that about working with grocery stores or small businesses like that is that the most of their profits get rolled back into the community and we're no different we we try to roll whatever profits we get from the greater good grocery into the work that we do um, in building wheelchair ramps for people or giving food out through Chow or um, grocery store trips, or we, we do all kinds of work at the Council of Churches outside of, uh, outside of just jail ministry and, and greater good. We, we have, like, you know, Chow is our biggest program, and we also work with uh, Faith in Action volunteers who help seniors live independently in their own homes. Um, we do ramp it up, which is which builds. Ramp- we just finished our 200th ramp, um, so we're we've been we, we do an awful lot of work through the council to um, to help our area be a better place. One final note about the Greater Good Grocery:
0: Do some people think that it's only open to people who live in that neighborhood, or that you have to be? a member of something right. like say uh, pay an annual fee to Joe's club and be <laughs> be a, a member uh, or or do, do most people do you think understand that that grocery stores open to anybody regardless of where they live Yeah
6: we've had to deal with a lot of misconceptions and some of those are are right there I mean you know the fact is that we while we do help people on, on with snap um, and other kinds of benefits like that, we do want to be we are open for everyone. And so my wife and I, we shop there. I know many of my friends shop there. It's a um, uh, it's a good it, the the people the people who work there are welcoming and it's a it's just a really nice place to shop. And I have to say, you know Kenya Middleton and and her staff at the grocery store, they do an amazing job to make it make uh, people feel comfortable and welcome when they walk in through the door. Joseph Salopak, Executive Director of the Broom County Council of Churches.
0: Thanks for being with us today. It was my pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's 10 39 at News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. Hi, I'm wnbf WNBF WNBF.com. Looking at the um, New York Today front page here, Binghamton Edition. And picture this rundown building over at 109 Oak Street near the high school. And a developer wants to turn it into 14 market rate apartment units, according to the news story. So the question now is... Where are the high school students going to go to smoke weed? If they put this big fence up around the place, how how can the students smoke weed there? Oh, well, I guess there are other buildings, attractive buildings in the neighborhood around the high school if they need a place to get out of the rain and snow to smoke weed between the classes. So, anyway... Hope that project works, like all other projects in Binghamton. They want to turn it from an eyesore into a city apartment gem across from the high school. Hmm. Well, if they turn it into a gem, put me on the waiting list. I'd like to... I think, I think it'd be great to uh, live across the street from the high school from a news standpoint able will cover a lot more stories, I suppose. Let's see what else is going on in our world today. Michael Beschloss, a noted historian, a presidential historian, so he keeps track of the behavior of the greatest presidents of our country. He um, tweeted a picture a short time ago. Of course, I had to retweet it as well because it is a remarkable moment in the history of the United States. He tweeted this uh, photo from five years ago today in Puerto Rico. Spectacle of an American president showing up in Puerto Rico tossing around complimentary rolls of paper towels to the adoring crowd. I think, as uh, a listener mentioned previously, of course they wanted, of course they wanted free paper towels. Who wouldn't? It's just the optics. On the other hand, uh, President Biden, who's in charge now, is, is supposed to be in Puerto Rico today. We'll see what he does. That would be pretty hard to top. I I believe I don't I don't see how Brandon can can top what his predecessor did. Well, hand out keys to eight hundred brand new Buicks. Here you go. Here's a car for you, and a car for you, and a car for you. And they would say, "Well, look, look at what Brandon did. He gave out." 800 new Buicks to the people of Puerto Rico, whereas his predecessor gave out 800 rolls of paper towels. I'm not saying he would do that. I don't think he would. I don't think he would stoop that low. But you never know. Keep an eye out. Also in the news... The Supremes are starting up another big session, another zesty session of the Supremes in Washington, and hopefully, hopefully they'll come up with more shocking rulings. I'm sure they will. They, uh, I think they've taken on a whole bunch, a whole bunch of uh, controversial cases. So the Supremes will be making news in the coming months with uh, additional rulings that will probably please some people and displease others. So if if you like the uh, rulings of the Supreme Court, we will uh, look forward to what they do during this zesty session of the Supremes. Well, plus they have a new member, too. A new member of the Supreme Court. So we wish them, we wish all of the justices, all nine of the justices, all the best as they take on some of these difficult, difficult cases. It's 1047 at News Radio WNBF. If you have some opinions about previous Supreme Court rulings or probably some of the Upcoming Supreme Court rulings that will provide plenty of fodder for talk shows. You can call us at 607-772-1290. You're also welcome to send an email to Bob at WNBF. WNBF, Terrible, terrible tragedy in Indonesia. And the death toll certainly is going to rise. The official death toll now is 125 after a soccer riot. A soccer riot. Or probably in Indonesia, it's a football riot. So the question really is... Why did the police respond the way they did? There was trouble after the football game. That's what we would call soccer in Indonesia. The home team apparently lost. And, of course, the football fans of Indonesia love their sport and they take it pretty darn seriously. So many of them rushed on to, I'll call it the field, and there you go. There you go. Then the police, who I'm sure were outnumbered, I don't doubt, that there weren't enough security people on scene after the the game ended and fans were displeased. But this is now, according to many news accounts, one of the deadliest events in the history of sport. So, the official death toll now is put at about 125. 320 other people were said to be injured in the stampede that happened at the Indonesian soccer game. The East Java Police Chief Inspector General Nico Afinta uh, said. Officers fired tear gas while trying to have upset fans leave the field after they invaded the pitch. He told a news conference, We have already done a preventive action before finally firing the tear gas as fans began to attack the police. Acting anarcho... anarcho- I don't know. It's, it's too difficult a word for me on a Monday. Misbehaving and burning vehicles. anarchically Eh, misbehaving so that's the justification for using tear gas inside the stadium and that as you might expect caused panic this account says fans could be seen being carried out of the venue as police vehicles also appeared to be toppled over so they were behaving badly and the police probably completely outnumbered used tear gas and then people desperately tried to get out and if you're trying to leave a venue if thousands of people are trying to leave a place like that at the same time the outcome will not be good so people were trampled and suffocated as they ran to the exits to avoid tear gas story says an investigation is underway by the national police chief and they're also the uh, president of Indonesia, Joko Widodo, is uh, ordering the Indonesian Football Association to suspend the league pending an evaluation. He said, I have specifically requested the police chief to investigate and get to the bottom of this case. Sportsmanship, humanity, and brotherhood should be upheld in Indonesia. So that's a terrifying thing. And it's, you you think, you would think and hope that that this sort of thing could not and would not happen in the United States. But the thing is, maybe it could. Maybe it could. Do I think it will happen in the United States? I don't think it will. But on the other hand, look to what happened in Cincinnati in 1979 with the tragedy where people were trampled at the Who concert. And 11 people died there. So, the people who run venues, sports and entertainment venues, all around the world, including the United States, had better sit up and, and take notes after this terrible tragedy over the weekend in Indonesia to enhance security precautions and also make sure that the people who provide security at these large events have certain guidelines. For example, don't use tear gas inside one of these venues. That would be one thing. Or don't, don't do anything that could incite panic. And that's, that's the thing. I, I don't know how you go about preventing people from panicking, whether it's something that happens by security personnel or somebody in the crowd. If somebody in the crowd has access to fireworks or something that could trigger a, a drastic response by people in the crowd, what can you do? Say, at a football game with 100,000 rabid fans. Or now at Penn State, some fans who've been drinking $12 beers. So there's this risk, always a risk. Look at some of these venues where they can pack in upwards of 100,000 or 200,000 people. So, how do you prevent a possible panic situation? The question really needs to be asked. I don't know what the answer is, but people who operate big events in this country had better re-evaluate their security, and that includes even here. Yes, this is not Cincinnati. This is not that soccer venue in Indonesia, but sometimes you see crowd situations around here And you know what I'm referring to when I say you see crowd situations around here, and it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder what exactly the plan is if something happened. And I know the people who organize these events do come up with plans, I know they do. I've talked with people who make the plans. But I don't know, for some of these big events around here, I wouldn't say I'm confident that every contingency has been addressed and that that there isn't more to be done to prevent a possible stampede in case there's something that causes people in the crowd to panic. And so every year we have some events around here, especially now that the pandemic has been ordered, ended by President Biden. Now that we're getting back to normal, we'll have more places with bigger crowds. So the, in the end, you, you do have to ask yourself, what have they done to prevent people from possibly panicking in these situations? It's one of those things that seldom is is discussed. Because I don't I don't think most security and law enforcement people want to discuss it. There's a lot of things they don't want to discuss in the area, and that happens to be one of them. It's fifty eight at news radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. One thing that I was very pleased about over the weekend. I came across something I had been looking for for nearly a century. Ninety-five years, I finally found what I was looking for. And it was a front-page story about when WNBF radio went on the air. So WNBF radio went on the air, it turns out, on February 24, 1927. And after looking for about 95 and a half years, I finally found the front page of the Endicott Bulletin with the banner headline on page one. It says, Endicott Station goes on air. First program wins approval of listeners. WNBF, Endicott's broadcasting station officially went on the air with its first complete program last night, and Howard Ammerman, the manager of the Elvin Theater, where the station operators have put it, so far on West Main Street in Endicott, by the way, pretty much where that bank is right now. They said that uh, favorable reports have been received from throughout this section. I think that means throughout the area. Reception good, but amateur interferes in Johnson City. Small sets best. It says entertainment on Saturday is planned, and then a church service to be sent on Sunday. So I finally found that front page, the historic front page from 95 years ago, the Endicott Bulletin. Which they were attempting to sell for three cents each, providing all the hometown news. So I tweeted that. If you follow us on Twitter at Binghamton Now, you probably saw that. It's pretty cool. It's 11 o'clock. Bob Joseph on WNBF Binghamton.
1: Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White.
2: A colder-than-average day again for today, but clouds keeping it from getting any warmer. A high today in the mid to upper 50s. Although the cause of a fatal fire in Endicott from last week remains under investigation, authorities are now releasing the name of the person who died. According to Village Police Chief Patrick Gary, June Kimball was found dead in her Taylor Avenue home on Wednesday. The Broom County Coroner's Office has ruled the cause of death was smoke inhalation. A police department news release indicates authorities have determined the fire was not the result of a criminal act or suspicious in nature. The file at the two-story house just north of Watson Boulevard was reported shortly before 8.30 a.m. Wednesday by a neighbor who had noticed smoke coming out of the second floor. The firefighters found Kimball's body lying in a bed, the blaze confined to that bedroom. That fire was brought under control in about 15 minutes, but other sections of the house did sustain smoke and water damage. No injuries are reported after a tractor-trailer caught fire on Interstate 81 in northern Broome County yesterday. Emergency services officials say firefighters from Whitney Point and Lyle were called. 81 northbound at mile marker 33 at around 6.30 last evening and found the big rig in flames. Authorities did not know what the truck was hauling, but hazardous materials were not believed to have been involved. A Johnson City discount grocery store is closed as the village's downtown district continues to evolve. A -A Save-A-Lot store on Main Street closed its doors on Saturday. Roberta Douglas, who has operated the business with her husband, said they recently were advised the building was being sold and their lease would not be renewed. The property was sold in 2017 for $608,000 to a Shenango County-based entity. The new owners then tried to resell the site as redevelopment driven by Binghamton University's Health Sciences Campus on Corliss Avenue has been driven up property values. The most recent real estate listing showed an asking price of $1.15 million. Douglas says she believes the closing will pose a hardship for many people who still live nearby because they do not have cars to travel to other places to buy groceries. The Save-A-Lot store employed six people. Festal is topping the list for local public school districts locally according to a national ranking. The district says the assessment was part of the U.S. News and World Report review of over 17,000 public high schools in the country. The report lists Vestal High School as number one in the Binghamton metro area, whose students demonstrated outstanding outcomes above expectations in math, reading, and science state assessments, earned qualifying scores in an array of college-level exams, and graduated in high proportions. In addition, the Vestal School District notes that the high school students outscored students in all of New York State in last year's. SAT exams by 44 points. Also, Vestal High School students scored 47 points above their peers in a national comparison. Add to that, the Vestal High School graduation rate is at 97 percent. According to the report, for the Binghamton metro area, Windsor Central School ranked second, followed by Maine and Wells Senior High School, Owego Free Academy, and rounding out the top five Union Endicott. The best high school rankings by U.S. News and World Report can be found at www.usnews.com slash education best dash high dash schools. In other news, in New York State, three people are recovering from gunshot wounds following a shooting at a Friday night high school football game in the Hudson Valley. Newburgh police say 43-year-old woman, a 19-year-old girl, and a 21-year-old man are expected to survive after being shot in a parking lot at the Newburgh Free Academy campus. The police chief, Anthony Geraci, says at least five shots were fired when a dispute broke out about 9.35 p.m., Ten minutes after the end of the game, there were no immediate arrests. Investigators believe the shooting targeted certain individuals, but it was not clear whether any of the victims were actually among those intended targets. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast mostly cloudy for today, a high only getting up into the mid to upper 50s with calm winds. For tonight, mostly cloudy, not as cold, low getting into the lower 40s. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, a high in the low 60s. Wednesday, mostly sunny, getting up to around 70. Thursday, mostly sunny, a high in the low 70s. And Friday, partly sunny, with a 30% chance of afternoon showers and a high in the low 60s. So where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM.
0: Sunday morning with Bob Joseph, WNBF, WNBF WNBF.com. Okay, we'll take calls at 607-772-1290. Good morning, WNBF. What's your first name? Where are you calling from?
1: Yeah, hi, Bob. It's Gary from the west side. Hope you're having a good day.
0: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful.
1: Wonderful. Great. You know, I was flipping through the channels, and I caught, like, a news story about uh, in Florida with Hurricane Ian about how they were saying that one of the counties didn't warn their, uh you know, the people in that county, uh soon enough, right? And I'm like, they didn't warn them soon enough. I mean, this was like a week ahead of time they were talking about this hurricane. It Okay, it did not hit. Like they said, it was going to hit in Tampa or it hit south of that. But that's where the surge of water was going to be anyway. And, you know, Bob, if you live on an island in Florida, and a, a Category 4 hurricane is coming just a few miles per hour below uh, Category 5, and you don't know enough to get off that island, I don't know what to say. I mean, everybody was warned about it, but now they're saying, well, they weren't warned uh, soon enough. You know, what, what's... Sure. Any comment on that?
0: Sure. Nobody's happy. Nobody's ever happy. And... This is no surprise to me. I was waiting for it. I was surprised that it took as long as it did for people to start to complain that they had insufficient warning.
1: Geez, I mean, do we need, like, to tell everybody about things in life now? You know, uh, look both ways before you cross the street. You know, I mean, that. that's... I mean, it's simplified. That's probably a bad example. But... Really, if you live on an island and you don't know to get off during a Category Four. I mean, you know, and people will say, "Well, it wasn't like that in the past." You're correct, and now maybe it gets worse—the global warming, whatever you want to say—but it is worse now. So now you know that it's going to be worse than it was before, and you still don't put the two and two together and
0: get off, but.
1: You know, I guess people are going to do. They feel most comfortable in their homes, right? That's I think that's
0: the story there. Maybe I I would feel most comfortable in my home. I'm not saying that. Oh yeah. I'm not saying I would not have evacuated. I I don't want to speculate after this hurricane what I would have done because I wasn't there. I wasn't there where they were in in some of the um, hardest hit areas. And remember, ultimately. The the hurricane did change path. The path did deviate from what forecasters originally expected. And so some areas that were expected to take a very, very hard hit were spared. And some other areas that were not expected to experience the wrath of Ian, they wound up being, in some cases, uh, virtually destroyed. So that's part of it. One of the things... With any storm, and we experienced this even, and I hesitate to bring it up, but 11 years ago with the floods that happened in September 2011 around here. The forecasts early in that day, if I'm not mistaken, maybe September 8th, September 7th, September 8th of 2011, the forecast suggested the worst of the rain was going to fall west of the Binghamton area. Well, in the end, it fell to great extent in, on parts of Broome and Tioga counties. So people knew we were going to get quite a bit of rain, but I don't think people knew because the, the storm path, or at least the, the path where the heaviest rain was projected, did change. So some people who wound up experiencing the joys that go with 15 inches of rain never expected that because based on the original forecast they might have been expecting two three four five inches of rain which also would have caused some damage but not the same level so and i know that's not a perfect analogy but we've had that before even with winter storms too and they will forecast gee december 17th 2020 remember that forecast i don't I don't recall anybody saying Newark Valley should expect 44 inches of snow. I thought the forecast, up until about 12 hours before the snow started, I thought they were calling for maybe 8 to 12 inches or 4 to 8 inches. I never heard anyone say 44 inches anywhere. So well,
1: That, that so, is all true, but that is snow. I know, I know. That's.
0: Yep, I'm okay. just saying that, that because, right. look, in this era... In 2022, I think people have unrealistic expectations when it comes to weather forecast. We we have so much technology with our apps and with our phones that, that can be precise. Look, we have a phone that can track us. I, my phone knows exactly where I am right now, so anybody who has access to my phone data, the police, the FBI... Uh, The phone companies and advertisers, they know exactly where I'm standing right now. So we we have that kind of precision where people can be found anywhere on the planet. So I think some people have this unrealistic expectation when it comes to forecasts that the National Weather Service can tell you precisely where a hurricane is going to track. And that's unrealistic. And it'll never be realistic. Hurricanes will go where they go just as snowstorms go where they go the forecasters can provide the best information available but it's never going to be a hundred percent guaranteed
1: it's true do you think sometimes though that forecasters just so that they can get people to watch will build up like what is actually going to happen and with that in our past history knowing that it's like oh geez they built this really happened You know, now it's like, well, we expect that it's not going to be as bad because looking at what happened previously, it wasn't as bad because they built it up too much so that they could get the ratings on people watching. Do you think that TV stations and weather channels and uh, radio stations to blame? Sure. In some part. Sure.
0: It creates this boy who cried wolf scenario. So every every storm. eh, Weather channel is easy to pick on because the weather is their stock and trade, but they treat the weather first. They do report accurately when something is happening, for the most part, but sometimes they've been caught even with their their live reports apparently exaggerating the situation. You'll you'll see a person doing a live shot on the weather channel making it seem like he can barely stand up and then Behind him, or her, are, are some people walking over to their car as if nothing really was going on. So, you know, the, I, I don't question most of the factual information presented by the Weather Channel or by most other journalists who are reporting live, but they're certainly... And, and look, Jim Cantori, the so-called Weather Channel star, that's his stock in trade. He, he, he almost... Well, he did get hit by um, a tree oh, branch man. or something. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, he goes out there, and I know this is what he lives for. So with that in mind, I, I still have to say, Jim Cantore and people like him, those who want to follow in his footsteps or the Weather Channel or local TV stations or TV networks, they'd better watch out. One day... It's very possible, yeah, on a live shot, that somebody is going to be seriously hurt or killed, and then there will be all sorts of hand-wringing with people acting surprised. Oh, never saw that coming. What do you mean you never saw it coming? These, These journalists, and they are journalists, and I admire the work they do, but they also, whether they're being directed by corporate or, look, I... I know sometimes I've put myself in situations that haven't been 100% safe, ostensibly to get a good story, but you never know. And, and I, think, I think they had better have a serious discussion at the Weather Channel with their people, especially their on-camera stars, the Jim Cantores and the others who appear on, cha- on, on camera during these storms have a serious discussion, an all-hands discussion, at some point after the hurricane season, because the hurricane season won't be over for several weeks. But they need to discuss this openly and with clear heads to prevent a a tragedy from happening to their valued employees. Because if and when it happens, there will be all sorts of predictable statements, as well as thoughts and prayers, but that's not going to bring the person back.
1: Mm. Yeah, I see some of the people, they wear, like, those safety goggles now well, too, while they're out Yeah, there, you know, because, oh, no, it is. It's dangerous. You, you can't see. The, the hand is quicker than the eye, and things that are moving are quicker than the eye. Right. And you can't see
0: something coming sometimes. And, again, I'm, I'm quick to add that there have been times some people worry about me when I'm out reporting. In different situations, not hurricanes. Well, I hope but you
1: got your gun permit.
0: That's what some people say I need to get.
1: Well, I think in your situation, it would be wise. I mean, I, we, I don't think anybody's spoken about this on your program and I have details, but I think there was an investigative reporter in Las Vegas who was shot and killed because he was reporting on a politician who wasn't doing things correctly or legally, and uh, the politician did not like that and had him rubbed out.
0: Yeah, that uh, happened. And this
1: is, it didn't happen. And this is, yeah, it's for a, it's a, it's a, someone in your profession.
0: Well, think about it. There, there are some people in the public eye who don't like some of the stories I report or maybe may not like some of the comments I bring up on the program. They're factual, yeah. but that doesn't mean people like them. And I mean, politics is very volatile now. I mean, sure. You,
1: you just say something that, you know, you're just making a comment, and people take it so seriously, and that's the way you are, and you're strictly that way. and No, you just made a comment about something, but somebody in somebody's mind it can click the wrong way, you know?
0: And Yeah, uh, well, the story in, in Las Vegas was uh, a top county official who was the subject of investigative stories by... The reporter Jeff German was arrested on suspicion of murder after his home was searched by the cops in connection with the journalist' fatal stabbing. So the county administrator, the county administrator in Las Vegas, was taken into custody after a SWAT team entered his home. The uh, guy, the county administrator, was wheeled out of his home on a stretcher after suffering a self-inflicted injury. So that guy's in trouble, the reporter's dead, yeah. and now I would like to think that something like that couldn't happen here.
1: I would, like to, I, I would like to think that too, but the way politics are, and you have a political show sometimes, and people could get very upset with you, and I've heard it on here there are definitely some questionable callers that call in that are that are out there a little bit too far in my opinion you know they take things too seriously and they're just looking at one way and if you say something incorrect, boy they you know they could really it just might something might click in their head sometime right and you don't know hopefully it won't happen in this area bob i think we live in a pretty pretty good area here but You never know. I mean, the guy in Conklin, right? Who would ever
0: think that? That's another thing. Or or who would think that a 12-year-old girl would be killed while walking with her father and brother near their home? I mean... So stuff does happen around here.
1: We need an investigative reporter on that, but I know you can't. You, I know you're busy and all that oh,
0: stuff. Oh, yeah, I've tried. So somebody I've, from the Times or something. Yeah, know. we need... There's we, something going on there. I need 60 Minutes, and when I say 60 Minutes, not Leslie Stahl, we need somebody from 60 Minutes or one of the network news teams or even the New York Times to come in here... Maybe two or three reporters and take a close look at what goes on because here it is approaching the six month mark and they tell us nothing. So nothing. And, and personally, nothing. I think a case like that is warrants some national attention because I sadly over the weekend in I believe in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I think on Friday in Tulsa, there were four homicides. I don't. I didn't look up to see what the current population of Tulsa, Oklahoma is, but to have four homicides, including a person, I believe a teenager, possibly a student who was killed at a high school football game on Friday night, to have that sort of thing happen in your city is shocking, whether it would be New York City, Tulsa, or Binghamton. But what I was struck by, the Tulsa, again, I believe this is the... I think I have the correct city. The police department was giving information in real time. A a student, again, I think it was a student, was a teenager, was killed at a high school football game on Friday night. I think it was a homecoming game. So it was an important game for the community. But the police department, a very short time after it happened, had a public information officer who was answering all questions. All questions, and and this was probably about two and a half hours after the tragic shooting occurred. He was doing it with precision. Hmm? A
1: public sur- who who answered? So it was someone that yes, work for the police was... department. Do we have that here no. in Washington? Do we have a public? Okay, no, so we don't have that.
0: Okay. So if if the Sorry. same thing had happened here, I mean, based on on how the police department handled the killing of Eliza Spencer. First of all, since it was a Friday night, Binghamton police probably wouldn't release anything on it till Monday morning or Monday afternoon. And so let me just punch up. So, yes, it was a 17-year-old who was shot at the high school football game in Tulsa. And, oh, now now I'm looking. uh, Tulsa police say two additional victims were injured in the shooting, including a 20-year-old woman and a 9-year-old girl. Remember, this is at a high school football game. But to my point, Tulsa police had a public information officer who was answering questions, spontaneous questions, and not lecturing reporters like happens in Binghamton. Uh, You know, Binghamton, they waited for, let's see, let me do the math. I believe they waited 16 hours after Eliza Spencer was killed on bigelow street before they held a, a news conference at
1: so that was saturday they did they held a news conference then correct because no was it was friday on a friday
0: night. no she she was killed on a thursday night i believe oh, Thursday night. and it okay. was a week night okay. oh trust me if i don't think the binghamton police will hold news conferences on saturday or sundays anymore. they used to mm. but we now have a government that works five days a week I mean, I remember yeah, I at a Super Bowl, I, mean. I remember when Mayor Juanita Crabb during the Super Bowl actually had a news conference at her office and reporters actually showed up. Can you imagine no. the city of Binghamton today on Super Bowl Sunday in the middle of the game, actually a mayor holding a news conference and welcoming reporters to City Hall because there was a serious situation? It just wouldn't happen today. That's what we've come down to. So say no. what you will about Juanita Crabb. At least she understand understood the value of getting out information quickly when there is a serious a problem. Time. Yeah. Now it's different like, time. no, we we everything is shut down pretty much at, at four o'clock Friday afternoon. We'll be back uh, Saturday or Monday morning.
1: But uh, and again, the reason that I hear that they don't release stuff is because they want to uh, preserve it for the case.
0: And oh, they say all that time. all the time. But how can how can police investigators? In Tulsa, say, Chicago, yep. Manhattan, the Bronx, everywhere in America, everywhere around the world for the most part, how can they answer questions? That public information officer, I, I I, wish people would look it up online at the Tulsa TV stations, at the websites. What that PIO was doing during the live 10 o'clock news, um, again, probably less than three hours after the shooting happened at the high school and he wasn't lecturing reporters he wasn't getting nasty he wasn't being critical he didn't uh, take information yeah he didn't take a reporter to task for doing his job all he did was answer questions and there were several and he, he didn't prevaricate he didn't he didn't say well i can't talk about that he didn't he didn't look disgusted he didn't make faces and remember this was all on live tv and at the scene that's one thing you don't see around here anymore is typically i'm saying there are some occasional exceptions but typically you don't see police answering specific details from reporters at the scene occasionally they'll they'll give a a very brief statement but this guy was was there and i would say he answered questions for five or six minutes on live tv and then when the reporters seemed to um run out of questions then he asked he said do you have any more questions I was shocked. I was shocked. I I thought this was this was uh, an example. Sadly, it was a terrible day for Tulsa, uh, and he had already been busy because there had been three previous homicides in that city that day. So he already imagined the stress he was under. Well, that's a tough job. It's that's a, tough, a tough, job. tough job, and and you need you need a special person. Not any person can be a public information officer for police. Trust me. It's I don't. I don't minimize the the difficulty and the challenge of that job. And I'll tell you what, if Binghamton police want someone who would be an expert at being a public information officer, they should contact me because the public information officer doesn't necessarily have to be a law enforcement person. It could be somebody who can communicate well with the public. And, and if they want that, give me a call. Maybe Maybe I'll change my career path and try to assist so people can get more accurate information when things happen around here.
1: Get that gun, Gary, from it, Bob. I gotta go.
0: Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. Bye. It's 1130. This is Bob Joseph, WNBF. I admit, I ask a few questions, and not everybody is happy about that. More calls coming up, 607-772-1290, or send an email to bob at wnbf.com. You're in For at WNBF. Back the phones, John from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air.
5: Hey, uh, Bob, we're uh, in Broome County. Uh, as far as public meetings, uh, we're, uh, we're all back to normal in-person meetings with the exception of Broome County. Now, they're having a public hearing on October 14th uh, on the budget and if you read the hearing notification it seems to indicate that it's going to be conducted by zoom now i've been in touch with the committee on open government and uh, they they you have to uh, invoke some sort of state of emergency and then you have to assess whether that state of emergency uh, would prevent an open meeting uh, i don't know what these people are uh Uh, Hochel's executive order on COVID expired on September 12th. And like I say, all the other public bodies, including the IDA, are meeting in person. So uh, this is a problem, and it's a problem uh, that Dan Reynolds, the chairman of the Broome County Legislature, should be addressing immediately. Uh, There's a a billboard, a curious billboard, Park Outdoor, with uh, Dan Reynolds' picture on it. Rich David's picture on it, Fred Akshar's picture on it, Matt Piscual, and Greg Baldwin's picture are on it. And they say, working hard uh, to keep your family safe, vote November 8th. Now, uh, how exactly, uh, as far as the county legislators, uh, they meet approximately two hours a month. They make a couple hundred dollars an hour. Uh, how are they working hard? They they don't know what hard work is. I suggest they apply for a job at Masonite if they want to find out. Now, as far as uh, Rich David goes, let me address one key point. He is stating in his campaign materials, and he stated in person, that he returned returned $2.5 million to the taxpayers. Now, the fact of the matter is, Eight years as mayor, over $100 million spent of taxpayer money each year. Uh, that's $800 million. Now, the first thing is, what's $2.5 million over uh, $800 million uh, as far as expenditures? Well, it's about $300,000 a year. But here's the rub. Here's the fraudulent rub of it. He didn't return any money to the taxpayers. There is no mechanism under, under the city law, there is no account, there is no lawful way to return any money to any taxpayer except if they win an assessment challenge. So the fact of the matter is when David makes this statement that he returned $2.5 million to taxpayers, he didn't return it. Where's the canceled checks? Where's the payment? Where's the mechanism for payment? So he's a fraud, too. Now, the last thing I want to bring up on this uh, uh, new new series of gun laws, uh, no, no gun zones, it appears from a photograph on Fred Akshar's campaign site, that he was at the church, the Holy Rosary Church, on Saturday. Uh, And it appears, and I've ran the picture by law enforcement, uh, some member of law enforcement, that he has a clip, and he is packing heat on the grounds of the church. Now, What is Fred Akshar? Fred Akshar is not in law enforcement at the present time. I don't know what his status is with that sham that he was conducting in in, uh, Port Dickinson. But isn't
0: the last we knew, don't you think he still is officially considered part of the village police department? We haven't heard differently, have we? We never heard. We knew that he was apparently working some shifts to keep his law enforcement certificate in force. So I don't know that the relationship between fred akshar and the port dickinson police department ever was rescinded
5: well i never i i did request paychecks any paychecks and i i uh, uh, they couldn't produce any so i i don't know but he doesn't refer to it he doesn't refer to it in his campaign he apparently you know that there's, there's there's the elimination of the word for uh when you are a non-incumbent you know you 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 put akshar for sheriff not Akshar, sheriff. So this man is very confused and he, he 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 doesn't know uh where he's going. He he's coveting this office so bad for so long that he he can't wait. But I think the public needs to know is uh Akshar packing heat because he was asked this question a while back. I don't know if it's you or somebody else. Uh uh, uh whether he would consider uh, uh arming himself so if he's running around with a gun in his pants i think people should know about it uh you know i would like to know about it and if he's in as a as a state official if he's in these uh, gun-free zones i think uh, that's a, an issue so uh you know <laughs> uh, you talk about public information here these rogues at the county legislature still think that covid is is going on that they don't want the public there to talk to ask embarrassing questions or to state their opinions And uh, we've got this guy running around with a gun in his sweatpants uh, who who wants to be our sheriff. Uh, You know, uh, what kind of crazy place, Bob, did this turn into?
0: Well, unfortunately, the program is almost over. But I will play just a a snippet for people wondering what uh, they might want to avoid at the Broome County Legislature because it was only three short years ago when this happened. So this That's a police officer uh, wanting to bring a protester through. She's been apprehended. I'm taking video. So second stop here.
4: Resisting. Stop resisting. Move forward and Move here.
5: out of the way yeah. now. You're fine. All right. So you let go I-
2: I- I don't have my glasses. I am holding my, hand my hand hand. hands. you're together, stop. You're, you're, under,
4: arrest. you're, you're under arrest. Got Got your hands. You're, you're, you're under arrest. And, and you're resisting.
5: Stop. <laughs> You were holding on to him as they're trying to effect an arrest. You Can't do
0: that. So these are police, including many, many police in plain clothes. Some from the undercover squad, because they they have hair longer than I ever did. To prove that they're undercover police and so that's what happened three years ago, John. Heck, you were there.
5: That was the insurrection. Uh, Dan Reynolds, the chairman of the county legislature, and Jason Garner ran into a room. They allowed it to go on for uh, over an hour, if not an hour and a half. Uh, Dan Reynolds then came out and tried to placate the crowd. They weren't buying it. And then he went back in again. He lost control of the meeting. And my under uh, Sher- uh, undersheriff, uh, Kate Newcomb, was on duty that day, and I was surrounded. I was swarmed outside that building in a very a dangerous situation uh, after numerous encounters with these people. And this was outside the building, and I have a loud voice, and I kept saying, I need some help out here. I need some help. And as these people surrounded me and wanted to take my phone uh, out of, uh, like a superhero, Kate Newcomb appeared, and uh, then saw that I was escorted by uh, I think they were state police, back to my car. But it was a very, very dangerous situation there. And, of course, Fred Akshar, uh, Mayor David, uh, never said a damn thing about it. But they did comment when the insurrection occurred at the Capitol. You know, Mayor David was all over that one there. Uh, no, it was it was dangerous, and they lost control of the meeting. And uh, then they went and bought new chairs for themselves, and they reduced the number of chairs that the public had, uh, but the question really is, Bob. Uh, we we don't have an active Republican Party because nowhere in these people's ads now are they claiming to be Republican. They're all claiming to be independent, working on the side. You know, they're afraid to offend uh, the other party, and they all deserve to lose. And we've got to get these people that are running the – you know, we've got people getting the nominations for these offices and then hiring the Republican chairman's wife. We've got to get rid of all this uh, crap. It's no good uh, for governance. It's no good for our area. And I, I think we can get better people as soon as these people are taken care of. So uh, onward to uh, 2024 and real Republicans instead of rhino Republicans.
0: John from Binghamton, thank you for your call. More calls coming up, 607-772-1290. Or send an email, which may, in fact, be read on the air. If you send it to Bob at WNBF.com. more calls more often. Tom and Endwell. good morning.
1: Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Swell. Swell. Uh, you had an interesting show. Um, very interesting. I like the, the one about the <clears throat> reporter that was stabbed in California by a Democratic representative. You didn't mention that the guy that was doing the stabbing was a Democrat. I just thought I would help you out there.
0: I'll help you I'll help you out. It wasn't in California.
1: Well, it was out in the West Coast.
0: Well, maybe um, the party affiliation really didn't have much to do with it. Guy apparently, I'll just say the guy apparently had problems. He hasn't been convicted yet because the killing just happened a month ago, but uh the fact that he allegedly killed the reporter and then tried to kill himself suggests to me that that person elected official, a public administrator in Clark County, suggests to me that he had some problems. And I don't think his right. main pro- I don't think his main problem was that he was a Democrat or a Republican. I think he had some problems and he was not happy with the reporting.
1: Well, whether you believe whatever you believe, but if it was a Republican, I'm sure the word Republican would have definitely came out. Um, i that's just my belief. I believe you would have definitely let your audience know that it was a Republican um, you know with the whole uh
0: stop- by the way by happened- the way, this is the first time this is the first time that I've heard the uh, person's party affiliation i have I'm not saying that I've looked into this story that much. first of all, it happened while I was on vacation, so I missed the the early reporting of the killing of the reporter so. I until 60 seconds ago I couldn't have told you if he was a democrat or a republican. So, but thanks. Thanks for your opinion. I still I'm looking at another story. I see no reference to most in the stories I've seen so far and I'm not kidding you that he's a democrat or anything else. Just that he was the public administrator and he allegedly stabbed the reporter to death outside his home. I don't think it has anything to do with what party he he was affiliated with?
1: Well, anything that's not look that doesn't look good for the Democratic Party is definitely hidden. It's hushed. It's thrown underneath piles and piles of papers that nobody can ever get to or see. That's just the way it goes. <clears throat> when you were talking about the hurricane and DeSantis didn't give enough warning, that has nothing to do with DeSantis.
0: So I didn't that say that. I didn't, I didn't say anything about DeSantis or anyone not giving enough warning. That was brought up by a caller. Right. Improve, no, I'm, I'm improve your listening skills, because when you try to impugn my integrity, I take it seriously. So if you're not going to listen carefully or you're going to imply to people who don't have a chance to listen to the entire program, if you're trying to imply that everything bad in the world i mention if there's a republican connection and everything bad in the world that might involve a democrat i don't mention the party affiliation you're totally wrong
1: well first of all i never said that you said it i was talking about the stories that was on your your program today and yes i listened to very i listened to it very well so there's that
0: well i'll just say and you're entitled to use your valuable airtime the way you want, in this particular case, I think you're really barking up the wrong tree. There are about a thousand other things that would be more relevant to talk about than to talk about the party affiliation of people who kill reporters. Same way that Claudia Tenney. Now, In fact, let me, since I'm going to bring up something that only got attention because I brought it up to the... Uh, world was Claudia Tenney, when she said during a radio interview in Albany, she, this is back in 2018, told Fred Dicker on an Albany talk show, she made a, a quote about, made a quote, she said, obviously there's a lot of politics in it, and it's interesting that so many of these people that commit the mass murder end up being Democrats, but the media doesn't talk about that either. Now, for some reason, Fred Dicker, a uh, was a very diligent reporter and would seize on uh, something like that if the tables were turned, he didn't mention it when it happened, when Claudia Tenney said that on his Albany talk show, but I was playing back a recording because I wanted to hear what uh, Congresswoman Tenney had to say to Fred Dicker, and when I heard that quote, I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Wait one minute. She just said, it's interesting that so many of these people that commit the mass murders end up being Democrats, but the media doesn't talk about that either. And since I brought that to the attention of a curious world, it gained some traction. These these things, trying to bring in somebody's, political party affiliation after they have done something horrible including killed people that's ridiculous and i don't do it
1: well when it's when it's a republican and known republican that commits such a heinous act it's widely put out there they're they're called trumpsters or MAGA supporters
0: hey You know, the people, I'm sorry if it offends you, but the people involved in the January 6th insurrection were President Trump supporters. They weren't supporters of Joe Biden. They weren't my supporters. They were supporters of President Trump, who was still president at the time, and they wanted to overturn the election. And I think it's perfectly relevant to call that to people's attention when people are descending on the capital of the United States and staging an insurrection, I think it's important. If they're, if they're registered Republicans or if they're supporting a particular person, I think that's relevant to the story.
1: So in the summer of 2020 riots...
0: Sorry, bad connection. 1154 at News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. I will not talk about riots in the summer of 2020 when we're talking about the insurrection. The great insurrection is totally separate from what happened in the summer of
5: 2020.
0: News radio
4: 1290
2: WNBF <laughs> Gangnam Star on Inga
0: the sounds like he's a Democrat.
2: wait.
0: Is he a Bernie Sanders supporter?
2: Well,
0: then he's not a Democrat. He'd be an independent. (laughs)
5: Oh
0: my gosh! On the bright side, he was not anywhere near the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. So there's that. Well, you never know. And that's my motto. Bob Joseph, News Radio, WNBF. I will say this, though the week is off to a very interesting start here at WNBF. You wash your hands. Kids, hey kids, do you know who was totally responsible for the last three hours here? Bob Joseph! Figures. To which I said, mission accomplished. Hey, it's been a pleasure. I'll be back tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat station. This is Bob Joseph bidding you up. Fabulous afternoon. This is News Radio, WNBF Binghamton WNBF.